Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Working Therapist Podcast. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and today we are very fortunate to have Bill Ogletree with us from Western Carolina University. I am a graduate of Western Carolina, so I love Cullowee, and I loved my time at Western, and Bill was actually one of my professors there at Western, so thank you so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, glad to do it. You go ahead first and introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about what you do at Western, and then we can talk. Sure. Well, as Hayden said, I'm Bill Ogletree. I am department chair of the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders here in the College of Health and Human Sciences at Western Carolina. Our department is credited by ASHA, and we're uh, in the business of providing undergraduate and graduate education in speech-language pathology. A big part of my job is being department chair, and that's kind of taking care of the accreditation piece and then the daily operational activities, including things like curriculum and just daily activities for students and faculty. The other part of my job is that I'm an instructional faculty member just like anyone else, and I teach the augmentative communication course here. Mm-hmm. I also teach an infant toddler course, and I've taught several other classes associated with federal grants we've had and, and other kinds of arrangements on the undergrad side. So I teach and I do administration, and that's kind of my story. That's a good story. I still use a lot of the stuff because I took the AAC class if it's the same class. Probably not because I took that class a very long time ago <laughs> when um, Big Macs were still uh, high technology, <laughs> where they were the um, they were a more advanced technology versus what we have now. And then also the infant toddler class, among others, I think even that you taught Bill. But I still use. In fact, I'm working with two CFYs right now. I'm supervising them. And this week was talking about perlocutionary, illocutionary, and locutionary. And I can still envision that chart you draw on the board and the whole nine yards. So I use it to this day. I am very excited about you being here, and I really appreciate it. And even on top of that, even though Big Macs are like still low-tech devices, I still use Big Macs yesterday. So there you go. <laughs> I think we all do. Yeah. I, I mean, you just can't beat a Big Red or a Big Mac, can you? It's a good time. It works for me. That's my kind of AAC. So anyway, when you get the higher level stuff, I pass and give it to somebody else smarter than me. So there you go. (laughs) Anyway, but I appreciate you being here. So I know Western has changed a ton since I was there. You know, when I was there, it was a very small class and we didn't have all the fancier things that y'all got going on now. But just tell me a little bit about how the program has changed and grown and developed through the years because a lot's happened up there. Right. You know, I came in 1992, and I think that was maybe your first year, too. Yeah. We changed dramatically. You know, when I came, that was the year that ASHA accredited uh, for the first time a Western. We had three PhDs, mm-hmm. and we dramatically changed from there. We also had about 85 undergrads at that point, maybe admitted 14 or 16 at the max graduate yep. students per class. You know, now we have 114 undergrads. We have 30 graduate students per class. Wow. We have about as many as 67 graduate students at any given point in time, given that we still uh, have students without background. They take a little longer. So that's been a dramatic change. I'd say the other change probably has been our location and affiliation. When you were here, Hayden, we were with the College of Education Allied Professions, and we love those guys, and 
Mm-hmm. It was great to be on main campus, but in 2007, you know, we became a department and had the opportunity to affiliate, like so many other CSD programs across the country, with the College of Health and Human Sciences, which newly formed. And then not long after that, you know, we found ourselves in the new beautiful $46 million building. And mm-hmm. so that's been a dramatic change, new affiliation with College of Health and Human Sciences and new peers and new opportunities for students and beautiful facilities. And sometimes I just pinch myself that, um, you know, everything kind of fell in place at the right time. So we're very, very fortunate. That's fantastic. And, of course, Western Carolina University is on the western side of North Carolina, obviously. But I think it's a huge resource for that whole area of the state. I mean, y'all have got a great program up there. And in addition to speech therapy, you have physical therapy. And what else is a part of yeah, that? Yeah, well, in our College of Health and Human Sciences, of course, we are a department. We have a department of social work. Mm-hmm. We have a department of physical therapy and offer the DPT there. That's a doctor of physical therapy, the trial right. degree. Yep. Then we have a School of Health Science, which kind of covers a lot of the health-related professions like emergency medical care, rec therapy, folks that the clinical lab science kind of things. And then we have a School of Nursing. Our School of Nursing has everything from the RN to the BN program up to the nurse practitioner and nurse anesthetist and the doctor of nurse practice. Wow. And our PT program, of course, offers the DPT. And then I don't even know if you know this, Hayden, but our CSD program here will be offering doctoral studies as of huh. 2016. We're affiliating with the University of North Carolina Greensboro. Wow. And you'll be able to get your doctorate through a collaboration with uh, Greensboro and Western. Huh. Uh, so that's very exciting. We'll be having doc students here. So That is very exciting. Yeah. I know I didn't know that. That's great. Wow. I think it's fabulous for the graduate students who are in your program right now who have, since the physical therapy school is there and the nursing. And so I think it's just a richer experience for them since they can, you know, they're in with all the other students. And I always think when there's multidisciplinary stuff going on, it's always a richer, better experience. You know, better learning and just better interaction. I think it's good. I agree. That's one of our focuses as a college. Uh, Across the country these days, there's something called interprofessional education that's been a huge focus. Mm -hmm. I was a part last year of an ASHA e-conference where we talked about that. And I just wrote a little piece for the SIG-12 for Special Interest Group 12 AAC that'll come out in perspectives about interprofessional education. So that is the way people are going, you know, it's better to go ahead and train somebody at the graduate level, how to work with others and how to be an effective team member. And if you do that, they're just going to be a more effective practitioner. So, Oh yeah. Yes. We talk about all the time. One of our core competencies is teamwork, team building, but in addition, and part of that teamwork, team building, and another core competency of ours is social interpersonal. And that's to me, much larger than just getting along with the people you work with. I mean, that's kind of sort of a given, but also, you know, just at the school up where I was yesterday working, you know, I like finding the OT room and saying, hey, OT people, what do you have in here that might, would, you know, how can we work together and collaborate with all these little people? So I think if you just started at the graduate level, and I think for people out there listening who are in a graduate program, you know, look around you and you need to learn from all the other people. It just makes you a better therapist. Better professional. So back to the speech and language stuff, though. <laughs> um, so a couple of questions, because, you know, we have known each other for a very long time. And again, you're a huge influence and mentor in my career. I haven't really asked you this question before, but have you always been interested in pediatrics as a therapist? Yeah, what's your yeah. background? 
before Western. What's my path to speech pathology? Yeah, before, yeah. You know, I, I'm a believer in, you know, kind of things having a purpose. And mm-hmm. I, I met someone at a job site as a young adult, about 18 or 19, who couldn't communicate effectively, looked great. You know, this is a young man who looked really well put together and mm-hmm. carrying a coat hanger in his hand. He couldn't tell me that what was wrong. Obviously, he locked himself out of his car and... That was one of those epiphanies where I thought, man, you know, communication is really important. And I was fortunate enough at that time to be at um, the point in my life where I was kind of making decisions about a major and uh, looked into mm. communication sciences and disorders. And originally kind of thought I was going to be drawn to audiology, which I'm glad that didn't happen. No, uh, no <laughs> disparaging <laughs> thoughts about our audiology friends. But kind of got into speech pathology, did my undergraduate Southern Miss mm. and loved those folks down in Hattiesburg and that was my hometown, and then I went and uh, did my graduate work at the University of Memphis, and I uh, got great experiences there, and went on to work for a while, and uh, when I started working, I realized that I was drawn to people with intellectual impairment, and on the PED side, I like kids, and so I did mm-hmm. more of that, so I'd say pretty much from the get-go, you know, I've had some interest in pediatrics, it's only grown, and my interest in ID even grew Beyond my initial jobs, I took my doctoral studies at Florida State University, worked with Amy Weatherby, and mm. her experience mm-hmm. was on, mostly on the PEED side, and of course with autism and more significant disability. And then my work up in Kansas, mm. I was at the University of Kansas Medical Center and uh, worked there for four years, and it was entirely PEED and very team-based work. I worked for what's called a UAP, a University-Affiliated Program. Hmm. And uh, those are in every state of the union has a UAP. There's one at Frank Porter Graham in North Carolina. Ah. And I was at a center like that in Kansas. Ah. So, yeah, it's kind of the path I took. And when I was up in Kansas City at the uh, center there at the UAP, I realized that I might want to do some teaching. I had the opportunity to teach a little for the University of Kansas, and I liked it. And that's how I got to Western. So I didn't think I'd stay here, but I have, and I've had a great (laughs) career here. Western's great. For anybody who hasn't been to Cullowee, you need to go. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's great. Well, Western's lucky to have you. Maybe you should tell all the graduate students in your class, hey, you people, are you lucky I'm here? <laughs> I wonder what they would say. <laughs> um, and no. Are you still teaching the same classes at Western, the AAC, the pediatric class, yeah. the infantile? I te- yeah, I, mm-hmm. I teach the AAC course, teach the infancy course. I've yep. taught two seminars in severe disabilities that have been associated with federal grants. Since 2001, we've had $2.2 million in grant money from, mm. from the Fed, so we've had classes with that. I occasionally have done an autism seminar, which I enjoy doing that. And, you know, sometimes I even stretch, and on the undergrad side, I teach intro, or I teach... Uh, Hmm. Uh, language disorders and children, those kind of courses, all consistent with my preparation. So, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So for your research interests, are they still kind of aligned with where we were before? Uh, before, Like in graduate school, I know we worked together on one project. And actually, Bill, you'll be so proud because not kidding you, but I was working with a little fella, not yesterday or this week but last week and I used the word sensitivity and consistency and communication uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and talking about because my research had to do a lot with the yeah. teachers and teaching them how to be sensitive and consistent in their um, right. sensitive to communication attempts and consistent in their responses right. and I still use that does that mean I just haven't learned anything in the past 27 years no, it was just no, so I mean, good that it just stuck with stuff. me I, <laughs> no. 
Yeah, my research interests have always focused around <laughs> individuals with severe disabilities in their communication, and that's included people on the autism spectrum. I'm usually kind of focused more on guys who are a little lower functioning. Mm-hmm. The kind of seminal research I've done, I was part of a pretty big study in 92 I, off my dissertation where we really profiled what, what those guys look like, so we kind of took a snapshot and looked at communicative form and function and kind of mm-hmm. described gesture use and described... Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of functions you see from guys with severe disabilities, children. As things have evolved, I've done single subject research like the kind of things that you were involved with when you were here. I've been involved some with looking at a picture exchange, uh, not necessarily exactly PECS, but something like that. Hmm. I've done some research with that as a treatment study fairly recently. I've been involved with several big research efforts with, I chair the National Joint Committee for the Communicative Needs of People with Severe Disabilities, and we had a big efficacy study in 2010 that we looked at, is treatment effective with people with severe disabilities, and did a 20-year retrospective, and Hmm. uh, that was published in the Journal of American Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities, so... Hmm. So, yeah, I've been involved in a lot of things. We've done some survey research here, too, but I try to continue. You know, it's not like you can do a whole bunch of, of big research design things when you're in a rural area like uh, Cullowee. <laughs> uh, so we've done a lot of single-subject things. Huh. I know we, we, you know we were maybe slated to talk a little bit about current research activities. And yep. The one thing that I have going right now is a collaborative effort with my friends over at the Riddle Center. Do you remember the Riddle Center in I Morganton? Do. Yes, I yeah. do. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I've Patrick Bartholomew, also a Western mm-hmm. grad, is the head of the communication services there. And okay. he and I got the idea that maybe we could get a bigger bang for our buck in the AAC world if we started really extending training to partners who work with the child. So, you know, if right. we work with somebody, a child or an adult, that's great. You know, and that's our time is invested and we get something out of that. And maybe they improve. But if we could get everybody doing it, everybody doing the same thing, then that's even better. So we're using a training paradigm out of Penn State, and and we're training a group of folks that work at the Riddle Center. And we're measuring changes in the person that's that all kind of centers around. But most importantly, we're looking at if we can train people like a pastor and a social worker and a direct care staff member to be kind of communication interventionist. That's kind of where I am right now. So you're basically doing a whole research model around just training the caregivers, who all the people who interact with that, basically a part of that child or person's life. Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. One of the big things that I've gotten interested in in the last four or five years Mm -hmm. is I've realized the enormity and the magnitude of of problems in people's lives. And, you know, sometimes, you know, and I'm sure you encounter this in your practice, (laughs) you can come in and you can have the best intervention (laughs) in the world and you can implement it in the very best way and you may not see very ideal changes happening. But it's not because of you and what you did. It's because that person is swirling in a life that's very complex and very complicated. It may be family situations. It may be economic situations, mm-hmm. you know, it may be illness and other things. And so I think there are all these things that we uh, have in our lives that impact the way that we perform every day. Right. And my idea is if we involve people who are aware of those things in the intervention, then they can help carry out the intervention more effectively. They can do it in a sensitive way, and maybe we'll get a bigger bang for our buck. So mm-hmm. pushing intervention out to others is kind of my latest 
interest area. And we presented that model at ASHA this year, and uh, we're looking to do a paper on it, I think March or May or something. I think that's so exciting because for us on a much smaller scale than what you're dealing with in terms of a whole big research thing. But for us, when we're working with our therapists that we hire and just day-to-day work that we do with our therapists that are here, when we're talking about home programs and developing home programs and what a good home program looks like and how to communicate well with the parents or the teachers or the caregiver, whoever it is, that you need that the carryover that you're working on, we talk all the time about trying to find the main thing and just also to you know, make the home program simple enough that it can be carried over. And so sometimes right. you really have to assess, hey, and really the key to this whole thing, in my opinion, is good communication with whoever oh, yeah. you're interacting with so that you can give the parent the best. You can give them 10 fancy schmancy in this home program that's PowerPoint and pictures and all kinds of mess. But, you know, if, if they've got four kids and working full time and, you know, it's just not going to be able to be done. So I love that whole, re- if you need some guinea pigs, bring it on, because we'll, we'll be your guinea pigs. I'm going to bring well, it on. You know, yeah, there, there's a nice training model. And, and yeah. uh, I know I've talked to Jaron there who works with you. We've, <laughs> I've talked to him about possible interaction with your group in the future. Yeah. But it's a nice training model that I've presented some places where it's called CPI and it's Communication Partner Intervention. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's teaching people to, to train partners. And the, I think the more people on our team, the better our chance to win. <laughs> yeah, like that's so up my alley. I'm all about that because it's just really got to work. You know, right. I mean, because ultimately, you just want this child or the person you're dealing with to succeed and be successful. But, you know, how that happens can look very different. And I like the fact, what well, sounds to me like it's also very individualized because you've really got to assess and understand what's happening with oh, that right. individual in their life. Absolutely. So I yeah. love that. I love that. Dag, that's good stuff. Okay, and you're doing that with the Riddle Center, right? That's what you just said. Yeah, we're we're involved, and we're about to push it into something a little bigger. We started with one smaller study. We had four people we trained, and they were all focused on one resident, and we're about to push it out and get it to more people. So, You mentioned your, some of the work and the research you're doing with the Riddle Center and also the National Joint Committee mm-hmm. for the Communicative Needs of Persons with Severe Disabilities, right? That's right, yeah, the NJC. <laughs> Okay, great. And then also, what other groups are you associated with? Well, you know, right now, chairing the NJC, it's a, that's a big job. And mm-hmm. you know, we have a couple of annual meetings. We have mm-hmm. monthly uh, calls, and we have a lot of policy and practice stuff we do at a national level. Mm-hmm. For example, we were just intervening on a child's behalf with a, an insurance company that I wanted to deny services mm-hmm. based on something that they were misinterpreting about how we wrote it. And so we work with ASHA. We do a lot of uh, kind of policy stuff, and so that takes a lot of time. I used to be engaged with CEC, the Council for Exceptional Children, mm-hmm. and I'm not right now actively affiliated with them. Of course, I'm involved with ASHA pretty heavily. I am the ASHA representative to the NJC. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, when ASHA was in Atlanta, I chaired the AAC submissions for the whole conference, and I did wow. that. And I find myself on those kind of boards a little bit more than I have in the past. It probably just comes with getting gray hair, but, <laughs> but anyway. That's well, a, yeah, pretty active in those groups. And, well, if you're, uh, around, if you're around long enough. Yeah, there it, you go. No, that's not it. They're picking good people, but yeah. Some I found that if you're just around long enough, you're like, hey, eventually, like, how about yeah. you? What are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> No, I'm belittling it. I'm not really belittling it or making little out of it. I'm just joking. So tell me a little bit more about the committee that you're on. Like, you just said that it... Yeah. You were working with insurance companies, and so we help me understand this committee. Yeah, yeah it's an interdisciplinary committee. It's 
you know, we think ASHA, speech pathologist, of course, there's the American Physical Therapy Association, same thing for OT, mm-hmm. same thing for psychologists, there's RESNA, which is for assistive technology, there's ISAAC at the international level for assistive tech and AAC, all of those organizations, and including the, uh, the group for intellectual disability, what used to... Uh, we call it mental retardation, now we call it ID. All of those guys, organizations like ASHA have representatives that come together on this national joint committee, and it is our goal to provide guidance in the area of really policy creation and practice really uh, altering, kind of you know, changing, to coming to kind of cutting edge aspects of practice. So mm-hmm. we meet regularly. We do deal with complaints and problems and things that come up in individual practice, but we also have been involved actively in some national level writing. We sponsored a research conference in 2011 and a book's coming out of Brooks' book on that. And it's going to be about severe and research. We had a, the conference, the e-conference I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, right. which is still archived and available through ASHA on interprofessional education was an NJC activity. So we're involved in a lot of activity, we're involved in a lot of policy, and it's a great, great group. I kid around, I, you know, you ask what my research interests, and I say severe. <laughs> you know, I, I used to kid around and said there are 15 people that care, you know, nationally. <laughs> uh, no, I'm but, one of the 15. <laughs> uh, and most of them serve on that committee. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a great time together. And, yeah. uh, we do good work. But one of the things you may yeah. want to look at it's been very helpful, and your practice may want to look at it, is the Communication Bill of Rights. Huh. That is basically a statement that people with significant disabilities have the right to communicate and communicate effectively, and they have the right to services. And It's really been used hmm. as an advocacy tool to help people who aren't effective communicators get services. And so look that up, Communication Bill of Rights. I will. I will tell your people attending or listening to podcasts also that if you go to ASHA's website, yep. ASHA.org, mm-hmm. and you search that site by NJC, right. you'll have some nice tools there that you can use, uh, FAQs, um, nice. a, a lot of nice tools from the NJC. Well, that's great. I mean, you are talking about some of my most favorite people in the world because I love the more severe population of people. Those are my kind of people. So those are great resources, Bill. Thank you. That's great. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of times I find myself, I'll see where I think those little people are being underserved or, you know, a lot of times it's easy to say, oh, well, uh, they don't because they're not communicating. I find out what happens is they are served maybe, you know, one time a week for 15 minutes or, or once a quarter or something like that, which I can find so I've never had any trouble finding a lot to do. So that bothers me quite a bit. And so anything to help justify services besides Hayden Bullock saying so is great. Yeah, well, check that out. Communication yeah. Bill of Rights. And we, there's a published version of that now that'll pop up when you search it, when you Google it or, or search it with any web engine. And, and there's also a new version of that that's going to be coming out very shortly in a journal article. So I'll look it up. I'm excited about it. Yeah. And yeah. I know also that you're involved with the AAC-based journal, Augmentative and Alternative Communication yeah. Journal as well. I'm not as familiar with that journal. I probably shouldn't admit that right this yeah. minute, but yeah. that's probably not a good thing to do, but that's the honest answer. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, AAC is it's an international journal, mm-hmm. just like um, AGSLP or JLSHR or whatever in our discipline. AEC provides a forum for research or policy or practice uh, articles. It's 
now edited by Janice Light and her husband, David McNaughton. Okay. They are kind of gurus of AAC, and they are at Penn State University. I was invited to be an associate editor now about a year and a half, two years ago. There are about eight or ten of us that are associate editors. And so what we do in that capacity is that we get assigned manuscripts when they're submitted, and we coordinate the reviews for them. So I just did that earlier today. I'd gotten a manuscript early in the week, and I had to find reviewers who could read it. And then once those reviews come in, I have to integrate the information and get back to the author. So I'm kind of a cog in the wheel of the journal helping articles get out and get published. Huh, that makes sense. And then can you get the journal online or... Yeah, you can get that online. It's a great journal. It's a nice outlet. If you have, you know, most of the web browsers that you would uh, mm-hmm. pull that journal up in would probably give you online access. It might cost a little money, but it's, a, again, a nice tool. A lot of focus on pediatrics there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do focus on adults, too, but uh, they deal with a lot of interesting things. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the article that I'm uh, coordinating the review for uh, today, I was dealing with social media, which is such a cool thing. I mean, yeah. We think of AEC and we think, oh, it's just supposed to help somebody, you know, say they want a cookie or say they want, you know, I need an oil change or something at, at the minute. Loop. And that's great. You know, it's great to help people in the real world communicate stuff. But, you know, what about their ability to get on Facebook and right. ability to text and then do all that other stuff? And that's become a really hot issue in mm-hmm. augmentative communication. So uh, a journal like AEC helps kind of give a place, a voice for that uh, to be articulated and discussed. Yeah. I'll check that out, too, because texting in teenagers is a major thing. It's also made a major motivator. But, you know, right. I mean, that's a huge thing for teenagers. They want to text. It's a huge thing for everybody. You know, half my communications text nowadays, right. you know. Yeah, one of the problems, I probably should admit this on your podcast, but one of the problems <laughs> is that funding agencies often don't want to hear about social media outlets, although... So many people with extreme communication disabilities, they don't have a lot of face-to-face friends, but they may have a lot of friends online. Exactly. And so we're to the point that in practice, we're recognizing the value of social media, but in uh, the world of funding, we're not quite doing that yet. So I would caution your folks attending or participating in this broadcast Mm -hmm. to, you know, be careful in their funding request to put a lot in about social media because that can be a a quick death to a request. Yeah. Although it's so, so important, yeah. Exactly. I think it's how you phrase it and write it up, but you're right. I mean, it's just, it's all how you write it up and... Right, phrase exactly. it and that kind of thing. Yes, I'm I'm down with that. <laughs> That's just the healthcare world we live in nowadays. So, Bill, all that stuff is right up my alley. It's very exciting. I mean, I think we have similar interests in all of that research and all those little people and big people. I just like birth to five a lot. So old people and little people. And when I say old, I mean like 10 and 11. But anyway, those are all my kind of folk. But as we sort of close that research part of this podcast and your research, I kind of wonder, you're doing all the research and, and that's a big part of your job and you got a lot of stuff going on with that. But now talk to me a little bit about how, I guess, it impacts your regular Western life and like students. And do the students know you're really doing all this research and do you have all this going on or how does that work? Well, you know, we try to we try to keep people informed about what's going on here. I, I do a newsletter twice a year. And they mm-hmm. need to make sure you get that, and uh, <laughs> and it tells about what each faculty member is involved in. Right. I think it's a good recruiting tool for us to be right. actively involved, engaged in research, or to be engaged in professional activities across the program. Right. So you know, if, if it's something I'm doing, if it's a federal grant I'm involved with, or if it's an activity as an associate editor of a journal, and 
students can see that and they can see you're professionally engaged. And they right. think they want to come here more often. Uh, you know, well, there are a lot of other faculty here doing interesting things. I know you had David Shapiro, and mm-hmm. he's just coming off a term as the International Fluency Association president. Mm. You know, and I think that attracts students. We have new right. faculty members here that have very interesting interests. You know, we have somebody interested in brain gym, which is a, yep. a way to engage people who are normal in terms of their intellectual abilities, but uh, maybe aging. And so we have somebody doing some of that. And we have people looking at things like literacy in children. So what I think is really important about a research agenda for a faculty, and if we look at the entire faculty, it's like how does it uh, serve the profession? How does it serve the students and how does it keep us vibrant and attract students as we compete with really a lot of programs across the country for uh, students. I know we haven't talked about it a lot. Uh, things have changed here, you know, and that we have uh, lots and lots of applicants and people are really interested and we want to keep a vibrant kind of program for them to be engaged in. Well, and uh, you said, you know, there's Western competes for students, but honestly, I always hear the opposite, that I hear there's more students than there are places, so it's harder. I don't know that I would get into graduate school nowadays if you really want to know the truth. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I don't think I would. I don't think, I don't think y'all would let me in. I hate to be discouraged. Yeah, but, I don't think so. No, you're right. There are lots of students. We usually average uh, between 270 and 300 applicants for wow. our blurry students. And that gives us a lot of ability to be selective. You know, we really try to consider the entire person in our admissions. We look at not only at GRE scores or grade point average and that kind of thing, but we try to look at what can be value added about the person, how they can come here and enrich our experience and we can enrich theirs. And mm-hmm. part of that is that research that we do. Part of it right. is having excellent teachers and Two of our faculty members here have won state teaching awards. David Shapiro won the state of North Carolina's teaching award, and mm-hmm. Georgia Hambrick won the state of Indiana's state teaching award. So we mm-hmm. do that at a really high level. Mm-hmm. We have a really, I think, personal touch here at Western mm-hmm. in that, you know, you come here and you'll we'll know your professor by first name, and eventually they'll let you call them that. And After 20 years and, later. <laughs> yeah, you'll be able to sit in an office, and, and you'll be able to talk about things and engage them. And sometimes at the universities, that's uh, not the case. So I, I right. think we have something special. You definitely do. My graduate time there was phenomenal. And I tell students, I mean, I get questions all the time. You know, what do you have to do to get in therapy school or PT school, or OT school, speech language pathology school or whatever? And so I get that question all the time. And I tell students what our potential graduate students, what I think is a, a good thing to do, but I don't really know because I'm not where yeah. you are. I mean, are there yeah. certain things that students can do that set themselves apart? Well, you know, I think it's really important understanding that everybody, uh, we're all at different points developmentally, and the student isn't always thinking of what's in their best interest when they're a sophomore or a junior, but right. as an undergraduate, I think it's really important to try to be focused and to try to make good grades, invest yourself, you know, and just follow the kind of maxims that my father told me, do your best all the time. And I think if you do your best and work hard and align yourself with the kind of things that are going to help you in terms of having a solid grade point, then prepare for that graduate record exam, you know, do something that's going to be out of the ordinary, maybe take a prep course or whatever. Those are little things you can do. But I really think one thing you can do is you can immerse yourself experientially in the field of speech pathology, even as a young person. So you shadow a speech pathologist. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have people that do that at your practice. Go out and put yourself in a volunteer position, maybe with a camp where you have uh, students, children with disability, or even in a facility like skilled nursing where you would encounter people with exceptionalities and immerse yourself in that. 
then when you get ready to apply, there's always that opportunity to write a personal statement or a letter of interest, and you can talk about that. And you can put it within a context of this field is important to me because I've seen it. I've been there. I've been, you know, I've been with people that are doing this mm-hmm. practice, and that really, to me, makes a difference. That does set you apart. Well, and I think as you're talking, that also again speaks to the type of graduate program that Western is, and for, at least for the speech department, which I'm more familiar with, because I had the opportunity when I was there to really make a lot of it my own. I got a lot out of the program, but I put a lot into it. But Western allows the student, in my opinion, that opportunity. So for example, I think even as clinicals were being assigned and that kind of thing, the person who assigned me the various places, they listened to kind of what I wanted to do and, you know, had some experience beforehand in terms of like doing observations and shadowing and that kind of stuff. And so I kind of knew certain areas I wanted to do clinicals in. And they really like let me have some input, which I thought was fabulous. I got more out of my graduate career because of it. That's great. Yeah. Glad to hear that. Yeah, but I think Western just allows you to do that. And you said your dad taught you to do your best. You know, Ashton Kutcher on the Nickelodeon Awards not too long ago (laughs) had a quote that I tell my teenage boys all the time, you know, opportunity looks like hard work. So in the words of Ashton Uh, Kutcher, there you go, Betty. Uh, Opportunity looks like hard work. You probably don't tune into the Nickelodeon Awards often, but but I (laughs) (laughs) happen to catch that. And so there you go. Words to live by. Anyway, but one thing that Western has that's coming up is your spring conference. And I really do want to talk to you about that because I think that's a really cool thing you do. What's the plan for this year? I haven't seen anything about it quite yet, but tell me what's going on. That's the Colloway Conference on Communicative Disorders. We're in our 23rd year. And we have uh, averaged anywhere from, in early years, 70 or 80 attendants, as many as three or 400. Right wow. now, we're probably about 200 regularly people attending that event. It's a continuing event. It's ASHA-sponsored. You can come. It's a day and a half. We are March 26th for a half day and March 27th for a full day here mm-hmm. in Cowley. It's in our brand-new Health and Human Sciences building, beautiful facility. Right. And I think it will be a wonderful learning opportunity. Uh, What we try to do with speakers every year, we have an advisory group that meets and uh, we talk to them about what they're hearing, what they would like to hear about. Mm -hmm. We take suggestions and we invite people. So uh, this year on our half day, we have Mm -hmm. uh, Bonnie Henry and Susan Hutteth. Those are SLPs from the Mecklenburg, Charlotte area, and they're very involved in executive function. That's not something that Mm. I do a whole lot with, but Mm -hmm. it's of interest to me, and they're trying to work that into their practice and working with school-age kids on kind of thinking through things and how the communication skills interact with executive function and executive function drives communication. They presented for the Department of Public Instruction. I don't know if you've ever attended Mm -hmm. their full-day events, and they did that recently and were so well-received that they showed up when we began to consider names and we invited them. We're glad to have them for a half day. Our full day is going to be with Dr. William Harn and his wife, Dr. Monica Harn, and uh, this is kind of be a come-home event for them. Bill and Monica were faculty members in CSD. In the late 90s, after you had left, uh, mm-hmm. the early 2000s, and they will be talking about language impairment and intervention for kids with language impairment. Most recently, uh, they've huh. done a publication on dosage, treatment dosage, so looking at what is enough, you know, and huh. uh, so that'll be their discussion. We'll be putting uh, information on our website probably okay. in the next couple of weeks. We'll have a flyer up, so... Um, 
at us online. So I guess the ladies for the half day, they've done a lot of work with kids with ADD, ADHD. Right. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think actually both will be great. And I have heard a lot. I think my sister was in graduate school there at Western when when the Harns were. Here, I yeah. think so. Yes. So that sounds familiar to me, and that's great. Also, yeah, she's significantly younger. <laughs> but, but who's counting all that? Whatever. Yeah, anyway, right. um, so basically, students can go. People that are currently working go to right. the conference. Just it's open to anybody that would that this it's, would apply. Yeah, it's open to anyone. We primarily entertain our students. Come, of course, people in our building. Cross disciplines are always welcome, and we advertise it that way. We have the external stakeholders, mostly providers, getting CE credits. And we are right. the major CE provider in Western North Carolina, so we've done thousands and thousands of CE credits here in the 23-year period. I bet. Yeah, we're excited. I think the first year that we did it was probably your first year. I don't know if you remember Mark Fay hmm. came, and uh, yeah, Mark was. Yep. Uh, yeah, he. I don't think yeah. we're calling it the Cully Conference then, but it's, it's grown into quite an event. So. I think it's a great conference. And how much does it cost again? I can't remember. Uh, right now, we're, we're at $55, which is a, just a wow. steal. Yeah, it uh, is. <laughs> for a CEU credit. Yeah, because that's, uh, yeah. You know, compared to what you get elsewhere. So, Good gosh. Uh, that may change just a little bit. So, depending on if we decide to offer lunch as a part of the the package, mm-hmm. because as you know, yeah. in Colorado, you know, you, it's hard to just walk across the street and eat. You kind of <laughs> have to leave and go out somewhere to eat. So yeah. <laughs> we're thinking of doing lunch this year, but it won't be a dramatic difference in that price. Yeah, that's great. It's not like Colorado is a metropolis, exactly. But there's a lot of trees, so there you go. There you go. There you go. So I think we hit all the high points, Bill. What you think? I think we your research. I, we got we we did good, right? <laughs> I think so. And before we sign off, yeah. I just want to point out to all of your listeners and people that attend <laughs> that they've got a good thing with you, and that we're very <laughs> proud of you as an alumnus. And particularly, I'm pleased that you were one of my first students, and that you have been very good about giving back in any way you could to Mm -hmm. the program and this is an example letting us talk about western and so we love you and we're proud of you hayden and all that you do well thanks and hey i was listening when you thought i don't think that chick back there has a clue what's happening right there i was actually paying attention (laughs) (laughs) you're back there like no she's not gonna amount to anything like she's just gonna be lucky to get out of here but i was paying attention sensitivity consistency perlocution i'm down i got it i'm still stuck with me so i appreciate it i love having western students i really do and so anybody that needs some hours bring it on we love students here i think it's a great thing to do and i have never done a cfy or had a graduate student that i didn't learn something from them so i love the opportunity to work with especially western students i'm a little partial but anyway so i do appreciate your time thank you though and it's been great and i think like you said you gave us lots of good references and those will all be in the show notes so if you would like to check those out and you want a copy of those check us out at www.pediatricdt.com you can get the show notes and there will also be the references to all the things that bill said today and also the color conference maybe we can do a link between PDT for the spring conference. So check it out there and you can, because $55, I mean, good dugga mugga. You're not going, it doesn't get any better than that. A day and a half of CEUs, it does not get any better than that. And I think you might learn something. So thank you, Bill. Okay, thank you so much. Yep. And thanks everybody for listening. I appreciate your time and I will catch you on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. 
That's pediatricdt.com. 